0: Blog Talk Radio Welcome to the Perkins Platform This is a monthly solutions oriented talk radio show Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. This month, our guest, we have a very special guest, um, is the Executive Director of the Education Trust, Dr. Katie Haycock. Welcome, Katie.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: And to our faithful faithful uh, listeners, we welcome you back, and thank you for being a part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. And to our new listeners, we're glad you've joined us. So today we have, I always think of uh, Katie as um, the, the, the real expert on the status of education in the United States. I was just telling her offline that um, I heard probably the best, uh, presentation I've heard in my career on um, the status of public education some years ago um, in Washington, D.C., and I'm just really delighted to have her on the show, and um, I, I wanted to just have the audience have benefit. If you've never heard um, uh, Dr. Haycock speak, uh, there's a number of, of videos on YouTube, I know, and a lot of links that, Uh, They do tremendous work at um, Education Trust. And um, I I just wanted to spend a few minutes. um, There's a a lot of talk about how we're doing in public education. And depending on what day of the week and what (laughs) political corner you're hanging out on, you're, you're likely to hear a number of things. So I wanted to come to you and say, give us a... A, a real statistics kind of you know base for your your assessment of how we're doing in education in the United States right now.
1: Sure. So a uh, little hard to do this without my reliable PowerPoints, but let me let me try to do a, a high-level version. Um, and I'm going to start with what we think of as some very good news. Um, when you, uh, when you look at the data on achievement nationally over the 90s in particular, achievement levels were pretty flat um, after a long period of growth during the 70s and 80s. Um, but that has really turned itself around, especially uh, at the elementary so- uh, level. When you look at the data on elementary kids over the past uh, 12 or 13 years, what you see are sharp improvements for all groups of kids, record performance for all groups of kids, and the smallest gaps separating both black kids from white kids and Latino kids from white kids that we've ever had in this country's history. So really, really uh, strong news from our elementary schools, especially over the last decade or so. Mm -hmm. When you move up to the middle schools, the patterns are much the same, improvement for all groups of kids, especially fast improvement for low-income students and students of color and the smallest gaps we've ever had. So the improvements are a little less pronounced there, but strong nevertheless. Mm-hmm. The, the the challenge really is the high school level. Um, clearly still a lot of progress to make at the elementary and middle school level, but obviously real traction when you look at the numbers. That is not the impression you get when you look at the numbers at the end of high school. When you look at reading achievement at the end of high school, kids today are actually reading a little bit worse than their counterparts were 30 years ago. And when you look at the numbers in mathematics, you know, sort of roughly the same. A little bit of progress during the late 1980s, early 1990s, but flatter declining since that time. And the gaps between groups that are very definitely narrowing at the elementary school level and narrowing at the middle school level, not yet at the high school level, which is one of the reasons why when you look at our high school kids compared to high school kids in other countries, the results don't end up um, uh, breeding much confidence. You know, we're out of the 34 countries in the developed world that participate in PISA, We're 17th out of 34 in PISA uh, in reading. We are 20th out of 34 in science and 27th out of 34 in mathematics. Actually, the only place that we rank high internationally is probably not some place we're very proud of ranking high on because it's actually the inequality of results. You know, despite the principles on which we are founded as a country, we actually have the fourth largest gap in the developed world between... Rich and poor kids in uh science and the fifth largest gap in reading, so that's kind of a quick walk through both the good news and there's a lot of it again, especially uh with the youngest kids and the more sobering results uh in our high schools
0: sure and so you you say so that but there's good news, so I mean you know if we could spend a lot of time trying to figure out why people don't share the good news, which is why yeah. I wanted yeah. you to come, you know, on the show to talk and share the good news so that we could yeah. at least have people this is a start so people can then also go out and do some research on their own, uh, rather than just accept uh what what they hear. Um, you know, you, you mentioned so that they're doing better. So what what are the what are the measures what are the indicators that you're you're referring to when you say they're doing better?
1: Yeah. So um, so the results that I just uh, just gave you an overview of are results from the National Assessment of Education Progress, which is considered kind of the gold standard assessment that is given to kids a, a large sample of kids in every state um, and generates probably the most trustworthy. Uh, estimates of student learning, mostly because it's common across all states and nobody teaches to it. Uh, the PISA results are the other; those are the international results, and again, kind of most trusted international benchmark at kind of where we are. But the truth of the matter is, when you look at other data, they also show some really nice, um, some nice movement. For example, high school graduation rates, as I suspect most people on this call know. Are higher today than they've ever been before Mm -hmm. and the progress here has been especially strong for low-income students and students of color and as you all know in this economy to be without a high school diploma if not a college degree is a pretty dangerous place to be so that we're making progress where our high schools are not moving the needle as strongly on achievement they have very definitely been moving the numbers on uh, on completion uh mm-hmm. and and the numbers at the college level college going is going up Latinos are now going on to college at higher rates even than white students uh so there's been some especially nice progress there and While college graduation rates for students of color and low income students still lag those of other students, we're mm-hmm. make, making progress as a country in narrowing those gaps as well and 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 remember under, what I'm telling you is largely the kind of national story. Underneath that are far more dra- dramatic improvement stories in some states,
0: sure, some districts,
1: sure. um, and 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 certainly in some schools. Um, and together, the schools and districts in particular are telling us, showing us over and over again that, yes, things like poverty and challenges outside of schools matter, no question about it, but they are also showing us that really focused schools and districts can make a wildly better uh, results, especially for mm-hmm. low-income kids. When we look sure. across the urban district data, for example, there are you know, low-income black kids in Boston and Charlotte, for example, are performing... Three grade levels ahead of their counterparts in Fresno and San Diego. I mean, so wow. really interesting evidence of how much really, really high quality schools matter for kids.
0: Sure, and and you know it's really interesting because uh, like you pointed out that there are some places, and I've I've also been a part of district work um, all over where. You see these dramatic results um uh and so they're different in different places you know Um uh, yep. they have different initiatives but if you if given what you've seen what would you say is the biggest uh factor that might have been uh associated with with a great amount of growth so in different places so yeah. If, yeah. if it to be you know one initiative or another
1: uh-huh. So I mean a couple of things. One, I think the lesson we and others have learned over and over and over again is how important leadership is, how mm-hmm. important both the quality and stability of leadership is. Where we have quality leaders and where they're in place uh over multiple years, you, Do you always mean it's see a better results. Um yeah, do you,
0: I'm sorry, do you mean at the building level or both, building and district at level? At the
1: building level, at the district level, at the state level. I mean, leadership uh-huh. just plain matters. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, you don't have to be a rocket science scientist to figure that out. So that really matters. Um, yeah. The quality of teachers matters a lot, too. I mean, there's been more research over the last 15 years than I think all the previous years put together that is telling us how much teachers matter and that Mm -hmm. high quality teachers produce vastly more growth um, among students than low quality teachers. So Mm -hmm. both strengthening the quality of our teacher force and making sure that we're getting our strongest teachers to the kids who most need them is a critical part of the strategy. If we have schools serving poor kids in particular that continue to have a churn of brand new teachers, turnover, 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 you're just not going to, we're just not ever going to get those kids where they can get. Um, so sure. the quality of people, leadership and teachers, matters a ton. Mm-hmm. So does to sure. consistent standards. I mean, one of the, our, our uh, K-12 folks just took a really interesting dive into the implementation of new college and career-ready standards in the states. And our question was not, have teachers been trained? Are there materials? The same kind of question that other people are asking. Our question was, okay, so on the ground, when you actually look at the daily assignments that kids are getting, how close to what we aspire to in Common Core uh, do those assignments actually get? And the answer was, not very close. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's a high-poverty school, a lot, a lot farther to go, and so, one of the clear signals to us is that, if we really mean these standards we've adopted that we need not just to have teachers sit in a two hour workshop and what the common core or whatever their their state's version is, uh, and not just to get them aligned materials but to really make sure that at that place where the rubber meets the road, that is what they are asking of their kids every day and in their homework does that actually align with the demands of these standards um, we got we got a lot of work to do there, so and we're not sure. going to get kids to standards that we're not teaching them to um, and our analysis uh, which is available on our website called uh, on track um, or checking in sorry um, was just an effort to try to understand sort of where we are, especially at the middle school level in uh, in expecting what we say we uh, we 're aiming for, so that matters a lot too
0: sure sure and um, you know, one of, i I mentioned that there was a a presentation, a keynote I got a chance to hear uh, from a few years ago uh, mm-hmm. that you gave and you outlined six points of what was worth fighting for and what we 've seen in the best schools and what what we 've learned from the right. best schools a couple things I want to pick your brain about, and you mm-hmm. just hit on one of them about clear and high standards um that um there's a there's a mindset that even I most recently uh ran into with uh one of uh, my daughters in high school um and and what high standards means is not consistent uh in terms of not just the application but in what some people think high standards are and case right. in point where I had a conversation with a teacher about uh, the notion that um, you have, you give assignments, and and at the end of the day, in some cases where you might have a 14-year-old that would say that doesn't turn it in on time, and then you mm-hmm. say, well, if you don't turn it in on time, you get a zero, and I'm not going to grade it, um, and so my question became, so, how do you know what the child can do um, yeah. That's not an indicator of what the child can do and I mean I get that you, you know you they have to also learn that there are deadlines and the importance of deadlines but one of the things that I've seen particularly in urban schools are these these very stringent um no exceptions you know uh um very very uh, difficult standards around uh, what are uh, punitive practices around assignments, and they don't get at actually assessing what children know and don't know. Um, yeah, interesting. What are you seeing about the national conversation, if at all, about what really what high standards actually mean?
1: Yeah, no, that's that that's a totally good question, um, and. I guess, unless I'm just not in the rooms where this subject is discussed, I don't feel like that's being discussed at all. The Mm -hmm. only place we're getting close to a robust discussion now um, that, that begins to hint at what you're talking about is around the school discipline issues where people have been looking at the data year after year and saying whoa <laughs> you know we got a school district that you know 77% of its african americans were were um, suspended at least once during the last academic right. year and right. um, you know that that's beginning to send some signals that something's going wrong here right so you know, right. um But but you're absolutely right. You know, One of the things that we've learned, our our team has spent an awful lot of time in unusually high-performing, high-poverty schools over the last decade or so. And one of the things that we have learned, and I know others who've looked at these schools have learned as well, is you have to have a consistent answer to that question. So the question your daughter's teacher was talking about is, what do you do with an assignment that's late? Um, do you mm-hmm. not score it at all, do you knock it down a grade? I mean, there are, there are a variety of approaches to that, and it, I'm not sure that there's one right answer. Sure. But what we found is that you have to have a consistent answer to that, right? So consistency is really important for kids. It's especially important for poor kids. And if if I'm a kid who has to figure out, well, what's the answer in Mrs. So-and-so's class, and how does that differ from Mr. So-and-so's class, and then my fourth-period teacher and my fifth-period teacher, I'm not getting a consistent message there, and I'm not processing that in a way that's really helpful to me um, for really um, focusing on, whether, whether you're talking about focusing on sort of the softer skills uh, or you're focusing on academic development of kids, Neither, ni- that's not good for either. So working on making sure that you've got a consistent, wide answer. Same is true, by the way, on supports for kids. You know, when you visit a typical not-so-high-performing school, it's not that teachers and other staff aren't aren't providing supports for struggling kids. They are. But when you ask the question how and whose responsibility is it and do you make sure that kids who actually need it get it, it's they don't, right? So in the high performers, they don't all do it after school or before school or on Saturdays, but they've decided how to do it, and they all do it that way. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. monitor whether kids are who need supports are actually getting them. And that kind of consistency and... Sort of methodological approach where you're you, you're really consistent um, is what seems to set apart the higher performers, the faster gaining schools, from uh, from the others.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, if you're just joining us, you've reached the Perkins platform. Um, we have our guest today is Dr. Katie Haycock, who is the executive director of Education Trust uh, in Washington D.C. Um, we are talking about uh, the truth in public education in America, uh, getting some interesting news about, uh, and, and good news, about how we're doing as a, as a nation in public education. Uh, we're going to start accepting calls. If you have people who want to ask a question or make a comment, uh, feel free to call in at this time at 657-383 one four eight one again six five seven three eight three one four eight one so katie there was one other area i wanted to touch on before we run out of time um and that one was about meaningful but fair accountability there's uh, Mm um the the accountability question comes up year after year um whether we're talking about Big cities that are in the process of negotiating teacher contracts or uh reauthorization of some of our national policies um, share with us a little bit about what you mean by meaningful but fair accountability sure so um
1: over the really actually over the last five or six years as um we and our sort of partners in the civil rights um, business and Disabilities community, sort of worked through the issues around e s e a um It was clear to all of us that um, redoing the accountability provisions of No Child was long overdue, and that the sort of system that states had put into place as a result of the waivers granted by the Obama administration didn't really do what we needed them to do, right? So there was a lot less flexibility than states needed to design from scratch a system that would actually support improvement and especially fast improvements in schools with concentrations of low-income kids and kids of color, Um, and so um, all of us sort of worked together with Congress Uh, over successive years, but especially during the last year, to try to um, make sure that the provisions of the new law, now called ESSA, um, instead of NCLB, both um, uh, provided more flexibility to states to design, uh, you know, sort of both Big A accountability and overall improvement systems but also enough protections for the low-income kids and kids of color and kids with disabilities and English learners who are often um, sort of overlooked and left behind in generic state accountability systems. So the mm-hmm. overarching idea that everybody came into it with is we want a system that's far more focused on improvement than a sort of gotcha at any at you know sort of on where your current status is. Sure. Um, sure. But we also want a system that's very much about um uh working toward faster improvement for the groups of kids that have been behind. And what that mm-hmm. meant is that not just in schools where there are concentrations of say low income kids, but in even in schools where there are a handful of such schools of such kids that schools needed not to be getting an A on some state accountability system if those kids weren't making important progress as well. So that's, that's what these groups work toward in, uh, in the reauthorization, and I think that's what we've gotten in the final law. Obviously, a lot of details will be worth state, you know, left to states to work out, Sure. But around the sort of fundamental idea of um sort of stretch but not break goals um and goals that will especially attend to the progress of the groups of con- uh, kids that have been behind um that's 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 what we got um this time, however, the DC is not going to tell states and districts what to do. Um, so there's lots more flexibility. And okay, so this school is not making progress; um, it's languishing at the bottom, or its English learners are are not making progress. The what you do part is left to the to initially to the local community and then to the state.
0: Excellent, thank you. We have a call from. Um, a uh, caller in Denver. Caller in Denver, you there? Yes, I am. How are you? Good, Great. good. Great. So, um, thanks for taking time to, to answer a question. So, with the Every Student Succeeds Act that you've been talking about, you know, there are a lot of uh, educators and a lot of different groups that are very excited about many of the. Um, many of the the policy changes that were included in there, and, you know, there, there's some problems, but with this large shift of power and decision-making from the federal level to state, and in some cases local levels, there are so many different ways that um, that could impact education, so knowing that, you know, it, things could look any kind of way, how do you see this impacting education within, you know, the next five to ten years?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball, so th- there's you know, there's there's a positive scenario that says, great, this is a wonderful opportunity for folks inside a state, both educators and non-educators alike, who care about kids, to come together to talk about the fundamentals. What do we value? What do we want to measure? Not just tests anymore. So what what do we want to include in our accountability system? How do we think about goals? And most important, what do we do for schools, with schools, or if necessary to schools if they don't make progress um so the up the, the upside possibility here is that instead of a system that most people experience as being done to them you could end up with a system that's been sort of co-designed by people inside and outside of schools and that there's real sense of ownership for that um and uh and for using that system to really bring about improvement um sort of both across the board and in schools that have been particularly struggling. The other scenario, of course, is a much less positive one, and that is that if states choose to do the absolute minimum that is required under this law, um, and if they choose to not invite many people to the table, which is typical in accountability decisions, you could end up with a system that essentially asks nothing of schools. And I think if we've learned anything during the past decade, it is that having stretch goals actually helps. Um, It helps leaders who are already change-oriented because it puts some leverage and some wind behind their backs, and it gets a few of the recalcitrant guys and gals to work a little harder at it. Um, So if you set no goals at all or weak goals, Um, and if you really don't do anything but maybe require another plan, um, if things didn't go so well or a plan after that, then I think it's a little frightening. So anybody, whether they are educators or just concerned people outside um, the education sector, need to weigh in in their states, Um, push for a broader table this time, push for fundamental discussions about what we aspire to, uh, how we'll measure that, um, and how we create an accountability system that's really about improvement, not just a gotcha.
0: Thank you for your insight. No problem. Yes, thanks a lot. Um, you know, this has been a really a uh, good uh, conversation and I'm I'm glad that you came on. We have uh only a couple more minutes, but I just wanted to say that, you know, it's it's a complicated um uh, endeavor to to make sense out of all of the different outcomes that happen. You know, there's there you you, you know you can't just make comparisons uh, one one district to another, one state, certainly uh-huh. one country to another. Um, we you know, one of the things that you said um, earlier about the the clear and high standards. I think is is really telling. Has to be about community conversations, and that um, that part of what we want and expect from our children um, is also part of the conversation that happens of what we want and expect from teachers and leaders uh, mm-hmm. that we put into these roles um, and how we're gonna get there. Um, right. we have to take, I, I think we have to take a real serious look, even though we didn't talk about that one. Um, you talked about uh, in your, your other presentation, fair and equitable funding. Um, but one of the things that we really have to take a look at in this country is the kind of the short sightedness of the political cycle. And yeah. that that the cycle is over in two years, three years at the most, um, before new new issues come to the table and the, the the initiatives that we started don't get to root and they've just started yeah. to germinate, but they don't get to take root. And we really need to address that, and that that there are some expectations that across. Kind of these political boundaries of timing, whether it's a new mayor or a new governor, that the expectation is that we will have some consistency across programming across uh goals and and, and vision um long term vision um but until we do something about that, I'm convinced that we're we're not gonna uh, make much uh not make the progress we could make I'll put it that way. Yeah. So thank you again, Katie. Um, just want to say to our listeners, thank you also again for listening in. Um, our next show is going to be on February 10th, uh, again at 2 PM, uh, where we have, uh, Jean Thompson Grove from school reform initiative, uh, who's going to join us. Uh, uh, their goal is create learning communities committed to equity and excellence. Um, and so, Um, We're really, uh, again, thankful uh, to Katie for joining us, and uh, we want you to be here with us next time, and hopefully sometime in the future. um, Katie, you'll be around, and we'll be able to uh, get you back on the show. So until next time. Absolutely.
1: I look forward
0: to it. Absolutely. Go well, stay well.
1: All right. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.